This week on Hyperspace Broadcast, we meet the Moon Race's fearsome general with a silly name. It's Gundam, after all. Hey everyone, and welcome once again to Hyperspace Broadcast, a show where two real friends dig through Toonami's back catalog and try to determine what, if anything, is worth revisiting. I'm Michael Doak. I'm Peter Eby. And this week we're continuing our coverage of Turn A Gundam with episodes 26 through 39. Uh, a common refrain, Turn A Gundam wasn't on Toonami, of course, but who cares? The The podcast yeah. <laughs> is ending. We're We're closing out with something that we both like instead of frustratingly petering out with something that sucks and we're both just like i'm done with this yeah (laughs) yeah we could have done like we could have done like sd gundam force or something like if we wanted another gundam series yeah the new sd gundam force that's the thing that they have now i'm like oh cool yeah guess there's eight episodes of that out i didn't even know it had been released yet (laughs) it's like it's like exclusively for little children and it's like okay i i can handle only so much right um so instead we're we're watching turn a gundam which is a show yeah not as much for children i guess i don't know still a little bit maybe but it's 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 fantastically robust yeah that's uh, that's a good way to put it i think it's a lot of variety so yeah where we left off last time, uh, the spaceship, the Will Game, had finally been completely excavated and launched, meaning that the Amerian militia has access to a spaceship. Uh, also, Queen Diana ran off with the former sergeant, Corin Nander, who is now just kind of a wandering monk. So we begin with Loran, our main character, going off in the gallop to find Diana Uh, He finds this town where they're holding a festival to celebrate the harvest uh, that's attended by both Moonrace people and Terrans, indicating that they can't actually get along if they, like, cooperate and work together. Uh, Corrin and Diana are actually at this celebration, and Corrin sees a float that is designed to look like the Turnay Gundam, so... Uh, Diana, Lauren, and Harry Ord basically enact this plan so that Corrin can sort of get some closure and destroy the Gundam by destroying the float uh, because he freaks out when he sees it and goes on a rampage and, like, steals a worker mobile suit to destroy it. Yeah, to punch this, like, float. (laughs) Yeah. So, I don't know, it's it's just kind of an interim episode and Corrin goes off at the end. Uh, And also Harry Ord takes diana back to the soleo yeah. which is the flagship of the like returner group because diana wants to go back because she realizes that kiel is in a lot of danger uh posing as her this kind of marks the beginning of my favorite episode of this block episode 27 sunrise at midnight um and this episode you kind of finally see kiel and diana reunite uh on board the soleil and Diana, you know, talks with Kiel and just like basically asks her if she wants to be a body double for her and like kind of be employed as a body double, which is kind of what was already happening since they switched places. But now, um, you know, I guess now they 
make it official. Yeah, well, now their body doubles in the same place because... Yeah, right. Well, A, Kihel no longer has to try to handle the, like, militant Phil... Uh, yeah. Commander Phil, that is. <laughs> Phil. <laughs> yeah, he has such a normal name compared to everybody else. Uh, yeah. But but also, like, the real Diana doesn't know who she can trust, so they want to have a body double just in case something happens. Yeah, and, and it's revealed, too, that um, Phil is, imba- is, like, scheming with Miran, the ambassador to... the, like, Moonrace ambassador to Earth. He's kind of scheming with him to stage a coup against Diana, which is like, ooh, okay, like that's pretty serious. And meanwhile, this Moonrace excavation team, led by this Lieutenant Zenoa, they discovered some old mobile suits, and then they found these, this like strange warheads. And it's like, oh fuck, <laughs> they found actual nukes. Like nukes exist in this world still. And um, at the same time, unfortunately, the Suicide Squad, the group of Barjoran Zaku's, led by. Um, led by Gavin Gooney are there and they, they run in and rob them of their nukes. <laughs> and Zenoa's like, don't steal these. Like these are so dangerous. And they're just like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> we got a cool weapon that they don't want us to have. Yeah. Right. And of course, um, why would you believe your enemy when they're like, yeah, no, right. don't take this. <laughs> like and I'm so begging you. This big battle breaks out. Uh, the ret team, which is like the, as we mentioned before, they're like, Oh, they're kind of hard to explain really quickly, but they're like yeah. moon race people who were left on Earth like uh, hundreds of years ago, and they've grown up on Earth, and like their descendants have grown up on Earth, basically like trying to prepare it for their queen and like you know scout for their queen, and so they're kind of like they're kind of oddballs compared to the other moon race military units, but uh, they're there as well, and this this fight's breaking out between them and Loran and the Suicide Squad. And, uh, and then like at at some point it's just, everyone is running (laughs) because (laughs) the nukes are going to detonate and, um, everyone is just sprinting out of there except for a few who get caught in the explosion when it finally goes off. And it's just like, the explosion is so bright that it shows up as like daylight during midnight which hence the title of the episode but it's like everyone in the like every character sees this from afar and they just see this like flash of light it's just like what is this and this is my favorite episode of this block um and this block has a lot of very good episodes um because i mean this is just like such a major turning point in the series and it happens very early on in our and how we set up these blocks which right. isn't really relevant exactly but you had doke had to remind me that this there's like oh yeah this happened in this block just so you know like because a lot of right. cool well, stuff happens but like this is such a huge moment well it's also because we actually started watching this block before we recorded the last episode. oh that's right yeah which is among other things why i said last episode that i felt like that block was kind of unfortunate and that it was sandwiched between two of the best episodes of the series uh, oh, this yeah, was the yeah. other one that i was talking about right like because it, it really it, is excellent. I mean, it yeah, just the, and it's like the, the the whole episode has you on the edge of your seat, and it's like it plays the really like thrilling music and like the very like you know the choir and all that, and it's it's just like oh god, what's going to happen? Like, is this nuke going to go off? And then it does, and you know, Gavin Gooney is killed in it, and um, yeah, because he was carrying, he's carrying, like, like yeah, he, 
he's just gone entirely. And and you know everyone reacts very realistically and appropriately to like this you know level of devastation that no one has seen before. Like it's just it's just unreal. And like all the character arcs you see in the fall, in the subsequent episodes kind of bend towards this force of change. Like they bend because of it. And uh, it's really interesting. Like you see later episodes that Sochi like kind of gets more of a mission. You know, she realizes like I have to stop this from ever happening again, <laughs> and that kind of becomes her goal, as opposed to just like vengeance. And it kind of signifies a change in her character. You know, and there's more stuff like that. And it's just like it's so cool. Like I really love how they they nail it. They nail like the ripple effects of this event. It's not just something that happens, it's tragic, and then they forget about it. Like it's it's a big deal that changes the entire course of the war, as you might expect. Right. And and the thing that I think is interesting too is like compared to a lot of other Gundam shows, um, this event just I don't know, like saying that it feels significant seems so weird because it's literally a nuclear bomb exploding. Right. (laughs) Like that should feel significant. But other Gundam shows that have this kind of event happen, like this big earth shattering thing, a lot of the time it's something that's too abstract, like a colony falling onto earth. Like it's not something that anyone has really experienced. Yeah. And I feel like because of that, a lot of the time that kind of stuff falls a little flat for me. Like in Double Zeta Gundam, there's a point where like a colony gets dropped on Earth and you actually see it. And I think this is the first time in the chronology of the franchise that that had actually like happened on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just feels weirdly not that significant. I don't know. Maybe Maybe it's just because I didn't like Double Zeta Gundam that much. But here... I think they actually give it the emotional weight that it deserves. Yeah. And also, like, the plot weight that it deserves. Because, as you said, this changes things a lot. Um, Speaking of which, after this, uh, Lieutenant Zenoa finds out that he actually still has two undetonated, unarmed nuclear weapons. Yeah. (laughs) And... At this point, Phil, of course, is like, we need to get our hands on that weapon, because if we have it, the war is ours, and sends Poe to go collect them. And Zenoa actually gives them to Loran for safekeeping, and then basically tries to go back to uh, the Diana Counter Forces to say, we need to stop this war now, because something has entered into the equation that we do not have the capacity to deal with. Right. Like, we shouldn't be allowed to have this. And it's going to repeat the mistakes that created the dark history that sent us into the moon in the first place. Like, (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, the the horrors that we tried to forget from the past are going to come back with this. I also think it's interesting, given that there is this whole idea of, like, we as people still don't actually have the responsibility to have these weapons. They're too powerful. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's an interesting point. So so he gives them to Loran, and then uh, Sochi actually escorts Senua back to the Soliel, except he's killed when the uh, guards basically shoot him because he's with a militia soldier. Yeah, Uh, they think he, like you know sold them out yeah or whatever and then during all this chaos 
uh, Phil attempts to spring his coup, basically. He holds Diana at gunpoint, but Harry escapes with Kehel, and Diana, thinking fast, refers to Kehel as Diana to confuse Phil as to which woman he actually has as a captive. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the Kehel ends up going back to the Will game, essentially, uh, with Harry's escort. And Diana is stuck aboard the Salil as a captive, either Diana or Kehel. No one really knows for yeah, sure. Yeah, right. She pretends to be Kehel, but again, who knows? Meanwhile, Lauren, as he's been tasked by, uh, as he was tasked by Lieutenant Zenoa to dispose of the nukes somewhere, he decides to stow them in the Ternay's chest. And he talks with Fran Dahl to, like, figure out where to best dispose of them. And they end up settling, like, yeah, outer space. <laughs> There's really no good place on Earth to hide these. Right. You could safely so detonate for... them in a vacuum, then, sure. Yeah, or just put or... them into space. Yeah. Like, no one's going to find Throw them. Throw them into deep space. <laughs> There's the... Yeah, that's, that's never going to be found. Uh, so... Fortunately for him, the militia is already heading south for this city called Maniupich, which is a city built on top of a mountain where there is a mass driver, which in Gundam, because it is semi-hard sci-fi, for the most part, spaceships are not capable of getting from, like, being on Earth into space without some kind of rocket or mass driver to mm -hmm. launch them. It's best for uh, so like trying kind of a to find one of those rail gun thing that launches it into space, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, okay. it is a rail gun. It puts them on a rail and then magnetically accelerates them to launch them and break them at a the high atmosphere. rate of speed. That makes sense. Uh, and of course, Gwyn wants to go into space so that he can continue negotiating on the moon itself, uh, because clearly negotiations with Diana Counter aren't going anywhere yeah. given that they just had a coup happen in their ranks. Uh, so that's basically a lost cause. Uh, meanwhile, Ambassador Mirren allows Diana to escape and takes her to Meme Midgard, who you may recall as Tedith Hala's assassin and former handler. He is planning on taking her back into space using the battleship, the Gendarm, which is actually capable of just launching on its own into space from the ground and has a really weird design. It's like a big squid yeah. with robotic tentacles. Yeah, it's, right. It's interesting. I really like that design, actually. Uh, Phil declares his new nation, the Sunbelt Republic, and sends Poe, who has become sick probably from being deployed constantly yeah. in a bunch of failed engagements, uh, to capture Diana and she's determined not to fail him again and, you know, fails again, basically. I mean, she commands a <laughs> the ship despite story. the fact that she's really sick. And yeah. uh, Sochi and Lauren work together to basically sink the ship that she's the captain of. Uh, meanwhile, Cancer Kafka and Muran Muran, who are the leaders of the RET team, attempt to rescue both Kihal and Diana, thinking that both of them are Diana. Uh, the... Attempt to rescue Kihel, more or less, nothing happens. They try, and then Kihel convinces them to leave, and they leave. Uh, but Diana, they actually decide to go with into space on the Gendar. So they're there with uh, Meme and Diana. And then when the militia like finally arrives at Manu Peach, they um, they find that the Adescan people who live there have their own like political struggle going on. It's like a revolution in progress due to 
what the Udeskins referred to as a shared dream they had about the detonation of the nukes, which I think was them just actually seeing the nukes. I'm not exactly sure. It may have been a spiritual kind of thing. Yeah, they, and, they have a whole, like, spiritual, yeah. basically, tale of what happened during the dark history. Yeah, yeah. Um. So so they Which have a lot really of, cool. like... Yeah, it is. It's really interesting. Again, it's kind of that um adapting a, like, science fiction story into mythology. Yeah. In a way that it comes... It's just really interesting. It shows, like, like their the show folk, does really well. They're, like, folk art, too, of, like, describing, like, the winged warriors came down and, like, were attacking the arm of whatever like i forget what they call the mass driver it's like the arm of something yeah it's the well it's branch. the oddest tree i believe oh yeah and the oddest branch right and it's, it's the the zach traeger which is this orbital platform that basically oh, that's catches right. ships fired by the mass driver yeah that's right that's right and really one of the main things about this mythology that they have is that the gundam uh, when it comes back to their civilization, their history will end. So yeah. they see its return as this bad omen, and that's part of what's driving this revolution. So Loran, uh, Joseph, Sid, and several other characters join with the exiled king, Kotal, and the Adescan woman, Mayalito, who Joseph recognizes because Joseph grew up around this area before he was found by Sid, like he was born in this area. This yeah. is kind of his culture vaguely, uh, or at least it was when he was a child. Anyway, they all try to infiltrate this city and destroy a bunch of Moonrace turrets that have been placed all over the mountain uh, to prevent them from getting in. But the clock is ticking, because Gwyn plans on basically just vaporizing the whole damn thing with the Woe Game's main gun uh, if they're not successful by sunrise, because they're also being pursued by Diana counterforces, and yeah. if they fight a battle here, they're basically screwed. I really like how they handle the handle this whole thing, too. Like, the Adeskin people are really cool, and they're, like, they have, like, a spiritual mythos and stuff like that, but they're not, like they're not shown as like basic people or something like that. You know, they, they're, they're characters in and of themselves who like are aware of what's going on to an extent. Like, and they're very, they're very kind of based off of Incan kind of culture and a lot of kind of Mesoamerican, um, Mesoamerican cultures of the past, uh, which I yeah, thought was pretty at least cool. Visually. Yeah. Visually. Um, and they're kind of like on a Machu Picchu kind of, uh, uh, territory too like the very mountainous kind of buildings and stuff right so basically uh this whole infiltration ends with the king and Maelito sacrificing themselves to blow up the final turret and also the their tradition is like the 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 new king kills the old king in single combat so the guy yeah. who was leading the revolution kills the old king by blowing him up and he realizes and that he's like, the rightful king yeah and, and he realizes that the guy was like allowing him to to do so you know and it was that the old king was actually very generous with him and was a good leader kind of inspires him to be a better leader in the future which is like a nice little subplot I I, I really right. like these episodes that take place around here. If you can't tell, and they're kind of like my second choice for a zenith. Yeah, well, it's it's definitely some of the most interesting um, 
it's totally like different. visual stuff the yeah. show does yeah and you know yet another take on like a pre-industrial culture i guess Mm-hmm. Uh, that would kind of rise up after this elimination of technology at some point in the past. Yeah. So, uh, also, it's probably worth mentioning that the Inglis and Air Force comes in and, like, kind of helps. And Sochi and some of the Suicide Squad members sort of stall the Will game by engaging themselves. Uh, so the Will game won't just kill everybody. Yeah. Uh, so. The whole game prepares to launch. It gets on the mass driver, and they figure out how that works. Poe mounts a final attack to stop it. Of course, she fails. Uh, Harry attempts to stop the Gendarm from launching and fails himself. So he more or less just hitches a ride on the Will game. Um, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, uh, his the weight of his mobile suit throws off their trajectory, so he and Lauren have to get in their mobile suits and Superman the Will game <laughs> up into the upper atmosphere. Yeah, so it can yeah. get caught in the arm of the Zok Traeger. Uh, so they're at the Zok Traeger and they find out that it's also being used by the Gendarm <laughs> as a dock. Yeah, and there's almost a confrontation with the Moon Race, but Diana and Kihel sort of tag team each pretending to be diana over (laughs) the radio to give orders which works surprisingly well because at this point they're basically the same person really risky like they they seem to literally share a mind at this point which i think is kind of interesting um also lauren gives sochi kind of a rundown of operating a mobile suit in space they have a little bit of space training yeah which everyone needs in a gun show yeah right yeah or especially if you're like you know a person who's lived on earth all your life (laughs) and you didn't even really have the idea of spaceships as a concept yeah (laughs) and suddenly you're in space trying to move around uh so meme leaves the zock traeger and contacts his boss who is basically the real villain of the series uh this is gim gingdom I think it's Gim, not Jim. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, it it's is spelled it like Jim. It's spelled like, like gymnasium. Like, yeah, yeah, gymnasium gingham. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but he's the leader of the Moon Race's actual military force. It turns out that Diana Counter was basically just a civilian recruited defense force, which actually explains a lot <laughs> about yeah. their relative effectiveness and like lack of discipline and stuff yeah right uh, and it also makes sense why they would do that for the people coming to earth because they're like yeah we know we're extremely more technologically advanced we don't need to have like yeah a right super right it's not even gonna be a force. fight yeah <laughs> we we don't need the real military who spend all their time you know doing simulations of battles instead of actually fighting them and turn out to actually suck pretty hard at actual combat <laughs> Which i love i love that detail like this guy and this guy's clearly like he's from like uh he talks about being from like a military dynasty of like yeah people yeah. of moon race people even though it is a dynasty built on just fighting and cool simulations and not actual combat <laughs> right which is right. like something really funny about that how like boisterous he is but then it's like can he quite back it up? We haven't really actually seen him in combat yet, so we don't know. But you know, that's true. It's, but, it's pretty, but we've seen pretty him, funny. But we've seen him commanding ships that are in combat with Harry or yeah. on the bridge. Harry basically just shit talking him to his face about <laughs> yeah. how 
<laughs> how all those simulations must not uh settle up to real combat but he still so anyway, seems like a threat too like he does he's not oh, he's yeah, not like yeah. a joke character or something it's just like there's a minor aspect of it where it's like yeah okay i can see where he's kind of <laughs> he kind of doesn't know his shit yeah, yeah no G- gim is but, definitely uh, a threat i mean he yeah, threatens key hell at one point uh but yeah. we'll we'll get to that um so Muran and Cancer realize that Mima's is basically planning on betraying Diana and they help her escape and then head for an asteroid colony called Mistletoe, uh, which is interestingly one of the first like full CG shots of a Gundam show, actually, oh, yeah. is Mistletoe spinning. It's a CG asteroid and it looks pretty bad, honestly, because yeah. it's like 1999 it's TV CG, but, yeah, uh, it, you know, it, whatever. It, yeah. I can overlook that, given the rest of the show. Uh, so, my favorite episode is episode 36, The Militia's Decisive Space Battle, which sounds very <laughs> epic, but yeah. this episode is... like The reason I like it is because it really reminds me of the first episode of the show in tone, in that it is more like just characters kind of living in this environment and having these little, little interactions than it is this big, epic you know, a nuclear bomb detonation, for example. Right. Yeah. Um, it's much more low key. And basically the whole thing is like all of these people from 1910, essentially in space on a spaceship and just <laughs> them struggling with like a concept of that. <laughs> like there are numerous arguments about who is standing on the floor and who is on the ceiling. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty funny. Um, there's a scene where Sochi and Kihel almost drown in the shower because some of Kihel's hair gets stuck in the drain and they don't really understand how the shower works in space. Yeah, it looks like totally uh, different. Right, so Lauren has to go in and save them, which itself is a nice parallel to the first episode when yeah. they saved him from drowning in the river. Uh, eventually, the militia get really drunk on sake and <laughs> what is frankly a hilarious scene. Yeah. Uh, they they try to send Sergeant Yanni back to Earth by putting him in a sake barrel and throwing him out of the ship, <laughs> which almost obviously doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. So Lauren has to go save him. Uh, and then the militia attempt a mutiny and steal all the mobile suits and cram like, you know, six or seven people into each cockpit. And Lauren has to go out and fight them. And they have this yeah. little fight before they all kind of just pass out because they're <laughs> oxygen starved. Yeah, it seems like they're like doing pretty well at first. And they're all like screaming as they attack. And then you realize that they're <laughs> just like running out of oxygen from screaming so much. Right. Well, and there's <laughs> and also so just something. Together. Yeah. And there's also just something funny about, especially as a fan of Gundam in general, seeing like cockpit shots of characters cut in when there's just like it just the shot is filled with people yeah like, yeah instead of just one guy it's like seven guys all crammed into this cockpit shouting yeah uh, it's pretty great honestly and then afterwards uh fran takes like a group photo of everyone which itself is kind of a reference to mobile suit gundam and that one group photo mm. uh and uh colonel michael who's the leader of the militia is revealed to have a family as he looks at a photograph of his uh wife and son i believe yeah he realizes like they're of, all 
they're all stressed and concerned and you know they they, they get let off more or less scot-free i think they i'm sure they get some kind of penalization but it's like also like yeah you guys can't go home <laughs> like they, they have to kind of just right, settle right. and accept that instead of it being like you're court-martialed and executed fuck you <laughs> you know yeah which harry suggests at one that's point. true Harry's just like you know if this happened in the moon race they'd all be executed yeah right <laughs> and everyone's like whoa hold on harry <laughs> These guys literally don't understand where they are. Yeah, like they, right. they don't understand that they can't get. They back have to, to be told not because to, it's too far away. They have to be told like, not to open doors outside. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a great episode. I, I really love it. It's just got a really fun tone to it as well. It even also just like the title of the episode, like you mentioned, being just kind of a <laughs> kind of a joke yeah a total mislead like yeah. it sounds so definitive and big and nothing really happens <laughs> which is part of what makes it so fun like yeah. i don't know the, these are the kinds of episodes i really like in this show and they're episodes that just aren't in other gundam shows frankly it's, like it, yeah and it like it fleshed out the characters a lot without they didn't really like do a ton to move the needle in terms of the plot, but I didn't mind at all. Like it was still very fun. And like the writing was interesting and like the character development that happened with the militia and stuff. I, I really enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's good stuff. Like this is like that episode is that episode is in microcosm. What I love about this show in general. Yeah. Yeah. I think I could see that. Uh, so after that, uh, Gim intercepts a transmission from Diana to the Will game, which is coded, but he knows the code. Basically, it's saying, hey, I'm at this location. Come get me. So his fleet begins moving towards Mistletoe. Uh, Harry actually kidnaps Kihel, and he tries to use her as kind of a bargaining chip by passing her off as Diana to Gim. Uh, she agrees to do this and also confesses that she loves harry which he returns which is interesting yeah yeah uh, i like their their relationship's very interesting and it's like yeah it's kind of it, it's so strange because he's like he clearly is like in love with the queen and he has to kind of like adjust for that with this person who looks identical to the queen and there's there's some really interesting right. like intricacies there that I, i'm curious to see how it'll turn out right so a battle breaks out at Mistletoe. Uh, it ends up getting blown apart by Gim's fleet. Everyone manages to escape, basically, but a huge piece of Mistletoe is falling towards Vaughn City on the moon. Uh, Gim plans on using the X-Top to destroy the, you know, chunk of the asteroid uh, colony with some kind of super weapon that's on the yeah. moon. I'm not really sure what it even is. We don't even honest. really know what the X-Top is. It's just like a weird thing. Yeah, right. Uh, but Loren instead decides to use the two nukes to blow up the chunk and basically use them to actually save everyone yeah. instead of, you know, killing everybody. Yeah, and he blows up the chunks to small enough pieces that their actual cannons can take out the smaller bits. Like, it, right? It's right. a really neat, again, very thrilling episode. Where it's just like, fuck, like, <laughs> like so, so yeah. many stakes some, all of a sudden. Yeah, and some kind of shield uh, protects both the turn A and the X top from oh, the yeah. uh, explosion. I don't know what that is yeah. exactly, but something about it <laughs> activates. Yeah, and he mentioned yeah, probably he, nothing good. Yeah, right. <laughs> like gim mentions like the turn x and it's being part of the turn x which i know is like a big mobile suit in the show so there's probably something to do with the turn x and the turn a that 
who knows <laughs> yeah right well we'll get to that yeah, in the right. next block uh so anyway the way that this block ends is lauren and sochi land on the moon uh diana is returned to the will game and then muran and cancer basically just kind of float through the debris field uh, but they have five days of air and a feast worth of food, and they <laughs> manage to save the queen, who yeah, is right. like, legendary to them. So they're actually pretty happy, even though they're like they're done, they're goners, yeah. they're they're never gonna be found by anybody. Wait, you think? <laughs> I didn't get that vibe. That's that's interesting. I mean, I, I know that they're not found. Like <laughs> wow. they, that's their last scene. <laughs> really? Huh? Yeah. Uh, which I believe is the, you know, the the final shot of the last episode that we watched is the the mobile suit that Cancer was in and the flat that Muran was in, sort of in an embrace, almost uh, floating towards Earth. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. And that's kind of their final scene. So, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, we're gonna get to the break. When we get back, we'll talk about our thoughts on this block. And then uh, say goodbye. That's basically all we do at the end now. Yeah, right. Turn A Gundam will return in a moment. Hey, is this Michael with some acknowledgments and an apology for a delayed episode yet again yes you'd better believe it our opening and closing music is as always vapor diving the music for the bumpers is monkeys both of these tracks are by Anitek. that is a-n-i-t-e-k you can find more of their music on soundcloud rights were secured through jamendo Turn A Gundam Conclusion will release on April 7th. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason, uh, DM us on facebook.com slash hbpod. You can reach us at Twitter at hbpod, or you can email us at hyperspacebroadcastpod at gmail.com. Back to turn a Gundam. And we're back. Peter, what do you think about the movie We're Back? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's see. I have very little memories of the movie, the animated movie We're Back, a dinosaur story. Is that what it's called? Uh, I think so. It's a movie where dinosaurs come <laughs> Yeah, there's back. some dinosaurs come <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I guess they're back. Um, I know my brother, we watched it, and it went to credits, and my brother just kept saying, we're back two, we're back, we're back, we're back three, we're back, we're back, we're back, we're back four, like, you know, advertising the next movie, like all good movies do, advertise the sequel in the credits of the Yeah, movie. yeah, like Back to the Future Part 2. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, hey, the, there's going to be a third one. Yeah, yeah, or don't miss out on the sequel, the hit sequel to... Oh, to God. this hip this hip movie that no one remembers really yeah. we're back well i don't yeah i don't even remember we're back might have even done that i'm not sure i know <laughs> what, what are we talking about turn a you want to know about turn a yeah yeah <laughs> should probably get to that <laughs> i was i was just curious what your thoughts were on the we're back movie i don't remember anything about time. we're back except that thing yeah. with my brother 
but fair enough. And I'm content to leave it that way, honestly. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe that one doesn't need a revisitation. <laughs> the um, this block of turn A is fantastic. I I enjoyed it thoroughly. Like it's just the show continues on, and like it continues going in a way where character arcs take unexpected turns, but they all make perfect sense to the character in a way that I found great. It's just like, yes, it makes me feel like I figured out a puzzle like this happening. And I'm like, wait, that, that all falls into place. That works. Like, of course, Harry would do that. And and it kind of gives me this like weird satisfaction when I see this happening. Like I didn't predict, for example, Harry or kidnapping Kiel and turning her over. But when it happened, I was like, that is exactly the thing he should do in this scenario, according to his beliefs and values that we've seen. Like, right. And it's a, kind of a strange feeling, but it's like, I, I really like it. And to me, I guess that means the characters are, I don't know, like, that. does that mean that the characters are fleshed out in a way that makes sense to me? Like, that yeah, I understand like, them? Under- I think that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree. And that that kind of stuff is like some of my favorite stuff about this show and really any like genuinely well-written show with well-developed characters is like rarely are the reasons for their actions that mysterious. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Like, and Sochi's kind of changed. It always makes sense. Sochi has kind of a softening towards Diana Counter and Queen Diana herself uh which was definitely not present before and it again makes perfect sense and it's just like oh wow like this character has made such a big change but it actually totally tracks and it's not just like i don't know they had an episode where a a moonrise person was nice to her so she's nice to them now like it's like no (laughs) this is like she accepts them little things that built up over a long period of time Right. And also I think this is I think this is the block where Sochi has the line where she's like I mean, Diane, Queen yeah. Diana and my sister are practically the same person anyway, so I can't hate her too much. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, she's basically my sister, apparently. So Yeah, because she can't fine. tell which one's her and which one's her sister at this point. <laughs> right. There's also, like, a, a lot of fun stuff where Sochi and Lauren are kind of traveling together at one point and hanging out and working together uh, in yeah. a way that's actually productive instead of, you know, kind of dysfunctional. Yeah, or getting um, at each other's nerves or whatever. Right, right. Like, I, the, the the characters are really the reason that I like this show as much as I do. And I, yeah. I feel like that's something I'm realizing more as I get older is, like, the shows that really stick with me are the ones that have very memorable characters. And I think a big part of that is what you were just saying is that their motivations are extremely readable. Like there is rarely a moment where a main character is doing something and you don't understand why, because the show is keeping it from you in order to surprise you. Yeah. Like, the show does a really good job of communicating their motivations and just their characterization uh, very clearly without being, like, just obvious and hack about it. Yeah, um, yeah. Which, which I really admire. Like, that, that's just good writing, honestly. And I, I think the other thing that's really good about it is just that d- d- through the synopses, I'm sure the show sounds like honestly like Gundam wing a little bit like it's just this complicated political situation where characters are switching sides and like characters are posing as each other and swapping out and there's body doubles and all this 
complicated shit. And like that stuff is great. But the thing that makes the show honestly amazing is that that's only about 50% of it to me. Yeah. Like the other 50% is a lot of little scenes between those big moments where you're seeing these characters interact with each other. And it's always in a way that's very human and real. And like, that's the stuff that I think makes the show a masterpiece yeah, really. Like, absolutely. Like the, the specific scenes where, uh, for example, Kihel tell and Sochi have a conversation and Sochi tells Kihel that she should cut her hair because they're in space and it's just kind of floating everywhere. And Kihel's like, actually, I stole some of Diana's hair gel. Yeah. So like it, it, it's my my hair is holding its shape very well, even though we're in zero gravity. And it's like, yeah, a of course, Diana would have some kind of hair gel that makes that possible. <laughs> uh b of course kihel would have stolen it because she's been diana for the last like several months or however long it's yeah, been right um and likewise of course sochi would tell her sister to be more practical about her hair uh <laughs> and and also like the, i think one of my favorite scenes in this whole show honestly is just this one little stupid scene where Frandal is trying to take photos of the Will game and Miyashe and Joseph, who Fran is now dating, keep like photo bombing her photos, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they're just posing in front of it and she's like complaining that they're doing this and they're like, why? Like, you're going to get a shot of it taking off. That's the spectacular <laughs> shot. Who cares about the shot of it landed? Just yeah. take a photo of me. Get a shot of our good side. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's just this cute little interaction between really three minor characters. Yeah. Who, yeah. That gives them so much life and vibrancy. And like, I think what it comes down to is just that what this show remembers that, again, I think a lot of other Gundam shows forget, and honestly, a lot of shows in general about this kind of subject matter, is that, um, like, yes, war is tragic, and that's what's happening around these characters, but it doesn't erase the parts of life that are, like, worth living. Yeah, yeah, like, there's still, like, little things in life that are okay. There's still, you know, it's not wall-to-wall -wall tragedy uh right exactly like there's so much there's still a great sense of like fun and i think adventure is the wrong word but i think the show does an excellent job of balancing out the tragedy of war with this just like i don't know kind of humanity of the people that you're with in this environment maybe? yeah like the people involved are still human beings trying to get by and trying to you know balance their emotions or whatever and oftentimes that's going to be very negative because yeah it's a war and there's a lot more tragedy but still there's going to be little moments where it's like of levity in, in between right that and, and just you can occur have... in life as it is and right and even in war really i mean yeah it's not it isn't wall-to-wall -wall tragedy. Sometimes funny stuff happens. Not good funny stuff, usually. Right. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, you kind of have to take what you can get. Like, it's it's interesting to me because I think that it makes the tragic stuff 
much more tragic mm-hmm. when you actually have a balance between that and stuff that seems like enjoyable or just like character ticks or interactions. Yeah, yeah. I could, like, I could compare it to um, the first season of Attack on Titan, which is the only Attack on Titan we've really seen. But that show is basically wall-to-wall tragedy and violence. Like, there is no, like, little moments of levity. It's just, like, characters introduced, they're dead. Characters introduced, they're dead. Fuck you. <laughs> like, right, these few characters right. are around. I guess they're all right. But, you know, everyone is going to die. And it, in this, it's like, yeah, because we have these little moments, it's like, well, now, at times when there are th- there's a threat of violence, a threat of a major catastrophe happening, a nuke going off, that colony slamming into the city or whatever. It's like characters mm-hmm. I love could die. And this, that makes it all the more thrilling as well too, to watch. Um, yeah. And, and not just, they could die, but like someone they love could yeah, die. Right. Like, I mean, uh, Gavon dying, for example, is made much more tragic when Sochi is such a relatable character that goes through all this growth, but also like Gavon's a relatable character. Yeah. In, in the scenes that he has, he has this great, like awkward dynamic where he's attempting to propose to Sochi (laughs) and like his squad mates are kind of egging him on. Yeah. And he's always kind of shouting at them. Like that kind of little interaction adds this really like great texture to the show. And, I mean, you know, for me, I, I think of like, like Iron Blooded Orphans is a Gundam show that I liked quite a bit. This kind of stuff does not happen in that show. That That's show, true. for the most part, is wall to wall tragedy and sadness and grim stuff. And as a result, eh, I, I don't really remember <laughs> most of the characters' names at this point, to yeah, be honest. Right. <laughs> I remember a few, but not a lot of them. And. I I don't think I'll ever forget even the minor characters of Turn A Gundam because they're so interesting and relatable and human. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like it, it and is this kind really... of stuff does that basically. I, I'm excited to continue watching it. Um, to use a line yeah. I'm sure I've said a couple times in this show, but not <laughs> not often. <laughs> yeah. I know I've said it no, before it's... to wrap up an episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and I I really love the ending of the show. I honestly think it's kind of perfect. So Awesome. I'm excited to get to it too. I think the the last thing that I wanted to say in regards to my thoughts on this block is that um it, it's it's interesting because it has so many like little mini arcs in it that it feels very distinctive whereas the last block I think is probably my least favorite of the show Mm -hmm. overall like it's still very good but it kind of blends together more because they're just excavating the will game for like 15 episodes yeah right basically uh and obviously a lot of other stuff happens but this one has so much variety it's like oh you have the the whole nuke mini arc and then you have like them going to the ocean actually and then they they find out that Sochi that the Kapool is actually an aquatic mobile suit yeah, which is a fun little discovery the whole struggle of them trying to launch into space and the menu pitch stuff the right right and then they're in space yeah. and they even that has its own kind of distinctive little bits yeah like yeah. it just as now a they're gonna block be on the moon. of episodes it feels so much more varied and interesting than the previous one yeah um so yeah i i think this is like really the 
kind of peak turn a to an extent i i still think the ending is really excellent this this seems like a great show for our podcast to go out on uh i would say no i agree (laughs) i mean that that's why i wanted to watch this show honestly in part um is like yeah this is uh, i mean also just the thematic relevance of like it's the end of gundam as a franchise kind of so (laughs) except not at all that works too yeah (laughs) i mean it was (laughs) It it was. It tried. Anyway. <laughs> Franchises don't end. <laughs> yeah, no, not when there's money to be made. Hell, fuck it. Just make a live-action Gundam Build Divers. That's good. Just hey, do that. It might be fine. <laughs> Let's just add a watch fifth sub-series to this purely mercenary franchising. <laughs> yeah, well. <sighs> anyway. Right. So, I mean, in two weeks, we're going to finish off Turn A Gundam. Um, We only have the final arc left, and I remember liking it quite a bit in my first watch, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, But until then, I'm I'm Michael Doak. And I'm Peter Eby. And be sure to revisit us in two weeks for the finale of Turn A Gundam. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope you're staying safe and socially distant. I mean, I know that the pandemic is seemingly winding down, I say, as I knock my desk slightly from superstition. But, uh, you know, just try to get a vaccine, and until then, try not to infect anybody. Um, If you have the means, please remember to provide for others in your community who might be struggling right now by donating to a local food bank. Uh, or towards a social cause like Black Lives Matter. Uh, at any rate, you can follow us at facebook.com slash hbpod and twitter at hbpod, where we post all of our episodes as well as additional content related to what we've been watching. This is also a great way to stay up to date. Uh, of course, another great way to stay up to date is to subscribe on any podcatching app that you happen to use, Apple Podcasts, for example, Uh Obviously, our episodes are up on there, and most of them, uh, as far as I'm aware. So you can subscribe there, and if you do, please leave us a review. We really appreciate it. It helps us find the listeners. And this whole spiel feels very hollow to say, given that we only have, like, one episode left. (laughs) But I'm going to say it anyway. At any rate, uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks for the conclusion of our coverage of Turn 8 Gundam.